Hello and welcome to Front Page Radio with your host, international author, broadcaster, and journalist Dan Wooding, the founder of Assist Ministries and the Assist News Service. Dan, who was born in Nigeria of British missionary parents, was raised in England and later worked for some of Great Britain's largest newspapers. He has been a journalist covering the world for some 47 years now with a focus on persecuted Christians and missions. And now, here's Dan Wooding with today's guest. Welcome to today's program, and I am in Manchester in England, a place where it rains a lot, but they have a wonderful ministry here called the Message Trust, and I'm with the founder of the Message Trust. His name is Andy Hawthorne. Andy, welcome to the program. Hi, Dan. Good to see you. Now, we last met in Southern California. What on earth were you doing there? I was over doing an exponential conference, which is the world's largest church planting conference. So I was doing that in California and then over in D.C. as well. Right. Now, the Message Trust aims at helping the poorest of the poor, but also you've got a musical group. But first of all, tell us about the group. Yeah, well, we started with a band called the Worldwide Message Tribe. It was me and a mate and some dancers from our youth group, and our heart was just to reach the toughest young people in Manchester, our city here, because our, our headquarters is 15 minutes down the road. And uh, we started with this band. We didn't really know what we were doing, but God liked it, <laughs> and we saw thousands of young people come to Christ. And we even got popular all over the world, even in the States. And um, But really, our heart was always to reach tough youth. You know, I'm an evangelist by nature. So on the back of the Worldwide Message Tribe, we've formed this ministry. I've stopped rapping. I'm sure many people would be glad about that. <laughs> but we have about seven other bands in the, in the ministry now who are reaching out. And this week we'll be in, in a bunch of schools in Yorkshire. And week in, week out, we're reaching into schools. I mean, people in America can't believe the open doors we have into schools in the UK. So we go into schools. We share the good news, we do massive gigs, and we're seeing literally thousands of young people come to Christ. And like 30 years after it all started, that warms my heart. That, <laughs> and I'm not doing it, but there's a whole lot more people doing it, a whole lot better than I did. Can you explain that? Because, you know, to go into an American school and preach the gospel openly, you really wouldn't be allowed. Um, you know, it has to be separate to the school. How come you can do this in Britain? Yeah, well, Britain, obviously, I mean, is built on Christian values and fundamental to our our politics, our society, is is the Christian faith. Um, Clearly, the nation is moving away from that, but still written in law are two things. Every young person is supposed to have a corporate act of worship, a Christian assembly, and every young person is meant to be taught religious education. Well, clearly, there's not that many Christians around some of these schools who can do either of those things. So we go in and we say, when you do the Christian part of the syllabus, can we put these cool young people (laughs) who've got a real personal faith in, and they'll share about the Bible, they'll give your students opportunity to ask questions, any questions. We're not going to do healings and appeals in assembly, but we will relevantly present the gospel. And they all do amazing rap music and backflips and breakdancing. (laughs) And their school loves it. The kids love it. And then at the end of the week, we'll do a, a gig, a concert, where we invite the young people out of the school. They choose to be there. And at that event, we can boldly preach the gospel. And so we've been doing this, as I say, for 30 years. And the doors are more open than ever. Last year, we did 264 schools missions through the message ministry all over the UK. You, you use a certain amount of rap music and choreography and that. How has that evolved? Well, my uh, great-grandfather was the 
first Salvation Army missionary to India, Captain Robert Hawthorne. And uh, William Booth, he went out with Bramwell Booth, but William Booth said this, why should the devil have all the good music? (laughs) And uh, he was was basically the brass bands of William Booth's day with the music of the charts and the music of the dance hall, music you'd never have in church. But William Booth saw that when you played that kind of music, you got the alcoholics and the street people and the broken people. And it's exactly the same heartbeat. We just want to take the music of the charts, put God lyrics, and use it as a platform to share Jesus. We always preach the Bible. We always invite a response. And uh, God, God loves it. We're actually talking with Andy Hawthorne here at the Christian Resources Exhibition in Manchester. And this is, of course, where he's based. How did you first get involved with the Message Trust and how did the name come about? Yeah, well, it was uh, myself and my brother had a fashion business. I, I came really through to Christ. I'd been brought up in a Christian family, but really came through age 17. And from that moment, I wanted to go into full-time Christian ministry. I, I had the heart of an evangelist. I was telling every, everything that moved about <laughs> Jesus. And, and yet and nobody seemed to want to have me. So I ended up going into business with my brother, and we set up a fashion accessory business. And then we started doing jackets and embroidery. The business grew. We made a few quid. And uh, we employed lots of young people. And it was the young people we employed. Our factory was in inner city Manchester for no better reason. And that's where we got the best grants from the government to build this factory. But we employed dozens and dozens of young men. And it was their broken lives, but also the real sense that they knew nothing of Christ that prompted us in 1988 to book the biggest rock venue in Manchester for a week, to write to every church and say, come on, let's go after the youth again. And we called it The Message just because we like the name. I don't know if it's my idea or my brother's idea. One of us had the idea. to call, We called it The Message 88. Then we did The Message 89. And then we formed a band called The Worldwide Message Tribe. I guess because we want the message to be front and centre. I'm so glad we're called The Message because we've got a message. And we must never forget, much as Christians are meant to care for the poor and the broken and meet real needs, if we don't share our message... If people don't understand our message, the message of the cross, the message of salvation through Christ, we're never going to see society changed. So now you've evolved to do this school ministry. Do you do also inner city work as well? Yeah, I mean, one one of the key projects we're involved in is called the Eden Project, which there's an Eden Project down south, which is a big greenhouse. It's nothing to do with that. (laughs) These are workers who move in to live in deprived communities. You know, pragmatically, when we'd been running as a ministry for about five years, we did a mission in a place called Bench Hill, Britain's most deprived ward. And we saw about 100 young people come to Christ. But the kind of young people who had so many problems, so many challenges, you know, so much addiction, so much brokenness in the family. It's like, how do we disciple them with all their multiple needs? And we're aware the little church we're working with would really struggle. So we came up with this dream of moving 25 young adults in to pull the boarding up off these houses, to live there, not for like we were doing for a couple of weeks doing a mission, but for, we say, five years minimum. So we moved our first team team into Bench Hill and we really started to see transformation come. So we launched another team. We've now done 60 of these Eden teams and over 700, mainly young people, but some older people have moved to live in these downwardly mobile, if you like, following Christ who left a a beautiful place and came to an ugly place because of his great love and real sacrifice. And uh, it's the biggest urban missions movement since the Salvation Army in the UK. Such a precious thing. And we can track pretty much every Eden team from the day they're opened and see not just church grow, but crime come down and communities start to be transformed. It's a really precious thing. 
Can you explain to people who maybe don't know much about Manchester? You know, it's famous for its, its football, the soccer teams, and um, a lot of media now is based in Manchester, but there's also a lot of deprived people living here. Can you explain the history of Manchester? Yeah, well, Manchester's a fascinating city. Yes, it is a very industrial city. There's, there's some of the toughest estates in Britain, you know, the most deprived communities, but it's also a pioneering city. The first railway was out of Manchester. The first computer was out of Manchester. So many of the great advances, the trade unions out of Manchester, the Emily Pankhurst and the and the uh, suffragettes were born out of Manchester. There's so many firsts in Manchester. And Manchester's a bit of a city like that, a, a cutting-edge city. And even now, in the last, there was a huge IRA bomb in the 90s that basically flattened the city centre. But Manchester's been rebuilt. And in that season... I feel like over those 25 plus years that Manchester's been rebuilt spiritually a bit as well. The church is growing again in Manchester. Not like revival growth, but growing again and it's mainly amongst young people. When, we, when I first started the message in 1988, I went to see the Bishop of Manchester and I said, Bishop, we've got this vision for Manchester's biggest ever youth mission. We're going to reach thousands of kids and see God do something new. And he said, oh, well done. Good for you, young man, but I can't help you. Because I oversee 364 churches and I can't think of a single lively youth work. <laughs> so it's like that was the landscape. Well, it very much is not the landscape now. You know, God's doing a new thing. And that's our big, our big kind of prophetic scripture mm. over the messages. My Bible reading, the day we had the first idea to organize this massive youth mission, Isaiah 43. See, I'm doing a new thing. There'll be rivers in the deserts and streams in the wasteland. Goes on to say, the wild animals will honor me. Those are formed to declare my praise. And that's what the message is all about. You know, seeing God's new thing, believing for revival, believing for the river and believing that the wild animals, which was a, a good description of some of the lads I was employing back then, <laughs> were actually formed to declare his praise. The wildest young person can go from the problem to the answer. And that's a precious thing. Uh, I've been living back here now for nearly a year and I've noticed this tremendous division in Britain over this Brexit, yeah. you know, which is the breakaway from the EU. How are you dealing with the sort of the anger that seems to be in Britain? Mm. Well, we're, we're, right now we're in a bit of a mess. We're right in the middle of it. And I don't think people know which way it's going to go. What, one, of, one of the fascinating things about Brexit was perhaps how the political class in London and in Westminster were so unaware of how people were feeling out in the estates. They thought it was just a done deal. We'll have the vote. It's clear everybody will vote. All the politicians want to stay in the EU. All the wealthy and well-at-heel people tend to want to stay in the, in the EU. But they weren't aware how disaffected people in places like Manchester and Newcastle and Liverpool were, which were, we were the people who voted to get out of the EU because they're not happy with the present situation. And they're thinking the problem's coming from immigrants coming in. You know, in my opinion, one of the best things that's happened to this nation is immigrants coming in. We've got people coming from all over the world, thousands of people from unreached people groups. We've got people flooding into the UK from Iran. And did you know Iran's the fastest growing church in the world? That not, not numerically, but percentage-wise, this brutal Muslim regime. And here in the UK, everywhere you go, there's Farsi speakers who've come to Christ. My mate 
the chairman of our trust baptised 13 Iranians in his church last weekend. And that's the story. My church, there's Iranians everywhere because God's on the move. I'm like, bring them in. Bring them in. Let's love on them. Let's lead them to Jesus. Let's send them back to these tough places. But anyway, so there's a, there's a disaffection, yes, and there is division. And uh, I feel God's up to something. I mean, what a terrible job Theresa May's got, that's for sure. We need to pray for her, don't we, for wisdom. And uh, something's got to change. What's going to happen is either, in my opinion, either we'll slowly grind our way towards a no-deal Brexit, where we'll go out of the EU on our own and things will get a whole lot worse, or we'll have a second referendum and people will say, oh, I wish I hadn't done that in the first place. I didn't really knew the implications. But it's it's not good, and it's costing billions. And the thing is... When something like this happens, it tends to be the poor who suffer the most. Mm. You know, that's the thing I'm scared about. We were praying about that this morning at the message. You know, it's often the poor. So we need to pray that God will, in his, in his mercy, just help us as a nation to make some good choices. Now, with the different groups that you're working with, particularly the, the people from overseas, do you have a story that you could share with us that is absolutely mind-blowing? Well... Right now, we've got lots, but right now I think about, I think about a guy called uh, Mohammed Mo Timbo, who we met in Forest Bank Prison. He was a heavy-duty drug dealer and a knife criminal, but he came to Christ, and we have workers in all the Northwest Young Offender Institutions. And during his time in prison, Mo, former Muslim, led 600 young men to Christ. Just an absolute machine in terms of evangelism. We couldn't keep up with him. And then when he came out, he's planted a beautiful church in Hull, he got married to his wife within a couple of weeks of, of his girlfriend, you know, and uh, with a couple of weeks of coming out of prison, they've planted this church together. It's grown to be hundreds. They've just moved into a, a huge new building, ironically, that's been taken over from the Methodist church. Methodist church was grinding down <laughs> this dynamic young evangelist who used to be a gangster. He's now leading this church. I think of another guy called Abdul. He recently changed his name to James, actually. But um, another Muslim from Sierra Leone, and he, you know, with with drugs and gangsterism and yet he's now doing this precious ministry in, in Sierra Leone and we're fueling him and funding him and training him reaching literally thousands we've bought him a big PA system this rapper he does, he does rap music in the in the native language and preaches the gospel in Sierra Leone and does ministry amongst the poor the kind of most broken people you can imagine but then go from the problem to the answer it's mm. amazing the wild animals who are formed <laughs> to declare his praise now, you've also been involved with the Queen. I understand you had some connection with a book that was written, uh, some of the Queen's, was it, quotations? Yeah, well, our Queen's amazing, actually. She is an amazing lady, just, the, you know, the longest reigning monarch. But more, more than that, she, in the last sort of maybe 10 years, she's got more and more up front with her personal faith. And the time, you know, usually she's a, a mouthpiece for the government. But once a year at the Queen's speech, she gets to write her own speech and share her heart. Uh, the last few years, Billy Graham couldn't have done it better. If you know, because she's very posh, it's quite amazing what she says. Just the way she shares her personal faith in Christ and a desire for Christ to be known in the nation. And, uh, you know, when the, uh, her coronation, the Archbishop of Canterbury gave her a Bible and said, Your Majesty... Here they are, the lively oracles of God, the most precious thing this life affords. 
Now, if your name's Queen Elizabeth, you've got a few of the precious things this life affords, haven't you? You know, nice jewellery collection, the, the odd country estate and trains and planes and everything else. But the most precious thing she owns is a Bible, and I believe she knows it. We, we just took, as the hope, there's a group of ministries who partner hope, we took a whole bunch of her quotations and produced a book that we sent out there. It's now sold over a million copies. And it, the Queen, for the first time ever, did the foreword for this book. She didn't write, basically. She didn't write for books, but she did a foreword, a precious foreword about her personal faith. And uh, it's been a huge thing all over the nation, one of those God things. But also, you've been to Buckingham Palace. You got an award for your, your ministry or your work. Um, tell us, I believe it was called the Order of the British Empire. That's right, yeah, which evangelists don't normally get. So I was really <laughs> honoured to get that. And I guess it wasn't so much for our evangelism as our work amongst the poor and the marginalised. But... Um, Yes, yeah, so a few years ago I went to Buckingham Palace and the funny thing is, you know, the, the Queen very often does these presentations but the guy came out in all his fancy gear in Buckingham Palace in all the incredible, you know, lavish surroundings and he said, ladies and gentlemen, I'm stood there with film stars and and um, and all kinds of athletes and people I knew and I'm stood there a bit nervous waiting for this presentation. He said... That today we're going to uh, we're pleased to say that presenting the awards will be His Royal Highness Prince Charles, Prince of Wales, and this and the whole audience went oh. <laughs> as much as he's great, Prince Charles. We all wanted the Queen, you know. But anyway, so I got my award, which was the OBE, and it's it's, it's a great honour. And it was it felt like a bit like getting your obituary before you die, you know, because <laughs> all these people said all these lovely things about me. So yeah. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah. What was what was the? I mean, does does somebody recommend you or what? Yeah, it was the chief constable and some business people put it forward as a guy called a Lord Lieutenant, who's the Queen's representative, and so each county, so they put people forward who's supposed to have done good things, uh, and so they ganged up. It's all a big secret, and then you just get a letter from Buckingham Palace and. Yeah, I can even my kids can even get mar married now in Westminster Abbey or somewhere because of it. So, <laughs> and oh, you know, and who would have thought when I just left the business and preached the gospel that would happen? So, great thing. When when you look back over all the things that have happened, you know, here you are, you run a little business with your brother, and suddenly hundreds of people are coming to Christ, maybe more than hundreds, and then they're reproducing and reproducing. Could you ever dream this would happen? No, because that's that's the way it works, isn't it, in the kingdom? God does immeasurably more than all we could ever dream or imagine. And But the, the great thing is, if I can stay faithful, I don't need to be the smartest guy around, but if I can be faithful and keep my eyes on Jesus, he'll continue to do immeasurably more than all I could ask or imagine. Mm. We literally just did what was before us as kids who need Jesus. Let's go after them. And the eyes of the Lord range the earth looking for a heart. And I think he did see a heart for these kids. And that's his heart. So he strongly supports us. And before we know it, we've got this global, because it is global now, ministry. And, and yeah, it, it is hundreds of thousands. When you say global, where are you then besides Britain? Yeah, so we've got a, bit, a major hub in Cape Town. We've got a hub in Germany. We've got a hub in Vancouver, Canada, and then we've got about 20 other nations are looking to work with us, and it's just how fast we can do that, you know. Yes. We don't want to do the undisciplined pursuit of growth, but we also want to work out a way to, to, to really start to grow the global thing. It's like that name, the Worldwide Message Child, was a little bit prophetic, I think. <laughs> you know, we are worldwide. We never thought that. We just, we just liked the name and we gave the name, but, but the message of the gospel is central, but a kind of a tribe contextualizing yes, yeah. it and working it out. For someone listening who would like to get involved in ministry like yours, 
in the States. What can they do? Should they write to you? Or yeah, they can, they can write. Everything they need to know is on our website, message.org.uk. Okay. And there's lots of resources. We've got free resources, free downloads, free podcasts, free videos. We've also got books and training materials, both in terms of out-and-out mission, in terms of serving amongst the poor and the broken, uh, and in terms of prayer as well. I mean, you know, we're passionate prayers. Mm. We're not going to get anything done without prayer, so... Um, yeah, so if, if you're passionate for the poor, you're passionate for evangelism, and you want to pray more, get to message.org.uk, <laughs> and there you can find out how to get involved and how, maybe how to support the work as well, which would be amazing. What would you say is the biggest lesson God's taught you over the years? The biggest, well, I think there's two two big things I'd say. First thing is, we need to just just keep Jesus central in all you do it's all about Jesus I can't get this job done Jesus can the second thing I've learned is if me and my wife are okay everything's okay <laughs> you know if we're sweet if we, you know I've been called to work with alongside this woman and journey with her and they said there's a sense that if you've got someone who's for you believes in you can tell you when you're being an idiot and a bit proud <laughs> because they love you you're going to do all right when you when you look at the world that we're living in at the moment, are there times where you despair? You know, there just seems to be so much anger and hatred in the world. Yeah, well, I, w- I probably I am a positive disposition guy. I'm a, I'm a kind of glass half full guy, mm. so I tend not to despair. I tend to look at it with faith. Clearly, when you go to some places around the world, I've been, it's not hard to despair, but. Uh, if we've got a vision beyond this life, if we honestly believe that God's painting on an eternal canvas and he's going to make it all right in the end, he's going to somehow work his purposes out, then we can have faith and optimism and even joy in the midst of some terrible trials and challenges that we all face. Mm. When you get to heaven, Andy, is there a question you'd like to ask the Lord? Yeah, uh, well, yeah. I'd like to ask him, uh, once or twice when I've prayed for people it, it, with absolute faith and expectation and I've tried to do what it said on the book in the book you know about praying for the particularly praying I had a guy come up to me with a terrible wasting disease in a wheelchair for asking for healing at the end of my preach on Sunday and I prayed with this beautiful pastor with all the faith he could muster and he shuffled back off a little bit discouraged in his wheelchair I'm like, why, Lord? Why would you just not do that? You know, because mm. you would have got so much glory. And what a testimony it would have been to your goodness. Because I know God can do it. So I've got a few questions around healing. About what he seems to say one thing in the book, but my experience where I live. And maybe it's a little bit like, you know, Jesus went to his hometown. And he was amazed that he couldn't do more miracles because they're lack of faith. Mm. Maybe there's an atmosphere where we are at the moment in the UK. But it's still tough, isn't it, to pray. And I've... I've I had friends die of cancer and I've seen prayer meetings for those people where there was absolute faith and passion and, and words and they've had dreams about healing. So, yeah, you know, and then they died. Mm. So that's tough, isn't it? Well, you know, I, I've just been through cancer surgery, so yeah. I, I know a little bit about this. And, uh, you know, God, in my opinion, used the surgeon to, to heal me. Oh, and sometimes we... We think, well, if people have get ill, they've, they've got sin in their lives or something. Mm. Do you ever get that? Do people say that sometimes? I've heard that's a load of rubbish, though, isn't it? Mm. And Jesus pulled people on that. And yeah. <laughs> so, no, that's definitely not the case. Right. I right. mean, 
the sin of the world. That's why people have cancer. Yeah. The sin, you know, the fact we're living under a world that's under the curse of sin. Sure. But it's not the individual. I really don't believe that for a second. And finally, as we're closing now, is there something you'd like to share with the listeners that maybe either encourage them or challenge them? Yeah. I think I'd like to say, honestly, the gospel has lost none of its power. It's lost none of its power. I have, I am confused about healing, but I'm definitely not confused about salvation. <laughs> I want to see the greatest miracle. And it's a little bit like healing in some ways. The more we pray for the sick, the more people get better. We don't quite understand why everyone don't get better. The more we preach the gospel, we need a church that's confident in the gospel, willing to put the lamp on a stand, not doing it in a weird religious way, but relevantly preaching the gospel with faith and clarity and inviting a response if we do that we'll see the church grow and we pray if we pray and preach the gospel faithfully and invite a response the gospel will do its work and society will be changed we need Christians to be confident so again people go to what website message.org.uk and there's all sorts of links for everything I've just talked about so beautiful I'd like to thank Andy Hawthorne for another wonderful interview God bless you Andy God bless you Dan cheers thanks a lot You have been listening to Front Page Radio with international journalist Dan Wooding. If you would like a free subscription to the Assist News service, log on to www.assistnews.net. And if you would like to write to Dan, send an email to assistnews at aol.com. Tune in again for another edition of Front Page Radio on this same station.